Father, we, uh, we've gathered this morning, we know that there is no hope apart from Christ. Many of us have expectations and hopes for this year. Hopes of being a people that lived redeemed lives. Hopes of being husbands and wives that care for each other as Christ cares for the church. We have hopes of our time being spent well and our labors not being done in vain. Yet all of this is contingent upon our hope in the death and resurrection and salvation we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask this morning, Father, that you would cause us again to see that apart from Christ there is no hope and in Him there is hope eternal. Help us through these verses, Father, and these men to see that the lives that we live now do matter for time and for eternity. Everything that we do, Father, is an opportunity to magnify You. Your majesty, your beauty, your glory, and your grace. And so bless us this morning with a supernatural intendance of your Holy Spirit coming upon us in a way this first Sunday of 2018 where we cannot leave here but changed by you. We don't want just another year. We don't want just to move through life. But we want to see you Magnify yourself through us. We ask, Father, that you would bless this church this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would bless all the churches, the true churches here in the South Bay. Let all the pastors faithfully proclaim the gospel of grace. Let all your churches throughout the world, Lord, be renewed this first Sunday of 2018, that we might see the great movement of your kingdom in the darkest places. Father, we know this is your desire, for you desire Christ to be magnified. So do that now, I pray in his name. Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. We have a couple more sermons in Colossians. A couple more. I know you thought we were going to whip through this last part. There's, There's much here. There's much here, and I want to show you a few things this morning by grace to have us begin this new year thinking a little differently by grace. A professor by the name of David DeSteno, he's at Northern, Northeastern University, he's a professor of psychology, and he published an article in the New York Times on how New Year's resolutions fail. And he said, willpower does not work. According to his studies, 25% of all New Year's resolutions made by people on January 1, 25% will already be given up by January 8th. That's tomorrow. 25% by tomorrow will already be left behind. He also said that by year's end, less than 1 out of 10, less than 10% of those resolutions reported by those who make them will be faithfully executed. 10% is pathetic. 
in light of a culture that tells us that mankind is inherently good and we only occasionally do evil, I find it interesting that the very thing that we want to do good, to be better people, we cannot do even when we resolve to do so. How do we explain that? How do we explain man being inherently good and yet one in ten resolutions barely make it to the end of the year? The Bible gives us a very clear answer. The Bible says that one in ten only make it and the nine are left out because of sin. We are sinful creatures and we live in a fallen world. And that's true. But I'm so thankful the gospel tells us this so that we know what is true and we have hope in Christ. To say that you make resolutions and may not get that to the end and then become pessimistic is not the gospel. The gospel says, yes, it is true. You will probably break your resolutions because you are a sinner. And yes, you live in a fallen world, but there's hope in Christ and there's power in Christ. And we will, by God's grace, see that this morning. Albert Muller said this week in the briefing, our most basic human needs can't be met by greater resolutions They can only be met by redemption in Christ. Making more resolutions and greater resolutions is not the answer. The answer is Christ, and then you can resolve to do much in his name, by his power, and for his glory. So over the past four months, if you've been with us, four months in 2017, we have been looking at how God has resolved to save and change his people. And how he's been faithful to that end. We have had the incredible blessing of hearing God speak to the church at Colossae through the Apostle Paul. And if you've been with us, you heard Paul start off with a most sincere prayer for the saints in Colossae to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This was his prayer. He revealed to us the preeminence of Christ. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And we learn that in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and that through him God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the magnificence of Christ was lifted up. And then Paul says, and here's the gospel. Although you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. And then he says, now walk in that light. Paul calls all believers in Colossae and Laodicea and in San Jose, put on your new selves, he said, and set our minds on things that are above because we have been raised with Christ and have died to the elemental things of this world, and are now hidden with Christ in God. Paul charges us, as those saved by grace, to put to death what is earthly in us, and live as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, he said, doing everything in the name of Jesus. And then he spent all of chapter 3 saying, and this is how you do it, husbands and wives, parents and children, employers and employees, slaves and masters, this is how you live out the gospel. Continuing steadfastly in prayer and making the best use of your time on earth. The exaltation and magnification of Jesus Christ. The gospel itself clearly taught and then this call to righteous living by the power of the gospel. Is it any wonder, my beloved, we get to Colossians chapter 4 verse 7 and we go, you know what, this is just, this is nothing compared to what we just heard. 
we get to these last four verses and we read through it quick, quickly, we think it dull, we think it irrelevant, or we think, you know what, Paul's just trying to add a little personal touch to the letter. So he adds in a few names and a few circumstances. I want to, by God's grace this morning, and it will take his grace, and, and next, and hopefully just next, I don't want to gloss over these verses. I don't want to gloss over them. We, we can't because it is the word of God. There's a reason the Holy Spirit kept these in here. Or it would have ended at verse 6, but it did not. And we should not. Because the men that Paul is talking about here, these faithful servants, were not only instrumental in getting the gospel to our ears that you might hear, repent, and believe, but they were, they were just like us. They were unknown servants. We are unknown servants. I doubt that any one of us, 100 years from now, will be talking about our name in the context of the Christian kingdom on earth. But they were faithful nonetheless. Unknown servants who had resolved to live their lives for the glory of God. Tychicus and Onesimus, Aristocrus and Justice, Epaphras and Demas, all doing the necessary and glorious hard work of the gospel ministry, serving, revealing, comforting, encouraging, submitting. I want to talk about just two of them this morning. Tychicus and Onesimus. And in doing so, I want you to see two things. One, your role in the gospel ministry. Your role in the gospel ministry. It's more than just coming here. It's more than just reading your Bible. And number two, your power in living that gospel out. How do, you, how do you get from what Paul calls us to do to actually doing it? Just two things. We're going to start off. It's the first Sunday of 2018. We'll start off a little slow, right? No, of course not. <laughs> Number one, your role in the gospel ministry. Paul's writing 60 AD. He's writing from prison. He's writing from prison to the church at Colossae. And he concludes this essential letter of the magnification of Christ, the revelation of the gospel, and the church called to holy living, he calls it with a most fundamental biblical principle. And if we miss this, we miss much. All Christian ministry is communal ministry. It requires lots and lots of help from lots and lots of people. Paul here is telling us about these dear brothers who stayed with him, who encouraged him, who served him, who worked with him. And Paul tells us about them, and he names them, because he is saying to us, I could not do this by myself. The apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, would have failed if not for these unknown net men. He couldn't do the ministry God had given him by himself. No one can do the ministry that God has given them by themselves. It requires workers. It requires helpmates. It requires a community of believers, just like Cambrian Park Baptist Church. And this truth permeates all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. When Joshua was fighting the Amalekites in Exodus 17, Moses stood up on the mountaintop. You remember this. And he was getting tired. So what happened? Aaron and her came along, they put a rock underneath him, they sat him down, and they held up his arms because every time his arms stayed up, 
The Israelites prevailed. When his arms fell down, the Amalekites prevailed. And so Aaron and Hur stood on either side, and they held up his arms until the sun went down. Moses could not do it alone. In fact, in Numbers chapter 11, Moses said to God, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, Moses says to God, kill me at once. Can't do it. You know how that feels, don't you? God responded to him, listen to this. God says, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Why? We cannot do it alone. If you are struggling in your walk with Christ, I dare say you're probably trying it alone. If you've executed or tried to do ministries and they failed, it's probably because you tried to do it alone. Our Lord, during his earthly ministry, did not pick Peter. He picked 12 men and built his church upon them. When Paul was sent out on his first missionary journey, he went out with Barnabas. When Titus was planting churches in Crete, the apostle Paul said, plant the churches with a plurality of elders, not one, but many. Remember our study in Ecclesiastes? I pray that you remember this part. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are what? Better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The ministry, my beloved, your ministry, the ministry of this church was never intended to be done by one person or two people. It is in the context of community because it is by nature a communal work. That's how God designed it. He wants us to work together. He knows we need each other. And that means you are an indispensable part of the gospel ministry here in this church this year, 2018. You are. Speaking of the church and its ability to do work, the work of the gospel, in 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 12, Paul said this, This is you. The body does not consist of one member but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. Indispensable. Necessary, essential. That's you. That's you. Tychicus was a companion to Paul. He was a messenger for Paul. He was an encourager to Paul. He was an interim pastor. He was, without question, indispensable to the ministry of the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul needed Tychicus. Look at verse 7. Sarah, you're finally going to get to the text. Tychicus will tell you, speaking to the Colossians, all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. What a description of this man. Beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant. Why does Paul call him a beloved brother? You will say, well, he's a, he's a member of the body of Christ. He's a brother in Christ. Yeah, but Paul says a beloved brother, not just a brother. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament. Five times. 
The first time that we hear about him is in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And if you know that what's happening here, Paul is going to leave Corinth and head for Jerusalem. And he's taking a love offering to give to the church in Jerusalem because it was poor and being persecuted. Tychicus says, I will go with you. I will travel with you this hazardous journey with a wanted man. I will come alongside of you. I will encourage you. I will help you. I'll be your companion as we make our way from Corinth to Jerusalem with this money. Tychicus volunteers himself for this most dangerous journey. So he leaves his home in Asia Minor. He leaves his family, his friends, his work, his church to accompany and serve the Apostle Paul. He took the dangerous road, and what we see is that he stayed with Paul all to the end. And it may be that Tychicus even accompanied Paul from Jerusalem to Rome over that three-year journey when he was arrested. And we, we think that because here Paul is riding from the Roman prison to the Colossians, and Tychicus is there with him. Antigicus is going to do what? He's going to bring the letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians with him when he comes. A little later in Titus chapter 3, where some believe Paul is also in prison and about to be executed, who is with him? Tychicus again. Titus 3.12, Paul said to Titus, when I send Artemis or Tychicus you to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. So, Tychicus was a beloved brother because brothers who love one another stay the course. He stayed with Paul from Corinth to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Rome, from Rome and beyond. A beloved brother indeed. And then Paul says he was a faithful servant, a trustworthy co-laborer in the gospel ministry. What is it that you think Paul intended Tychicus to do? I mean, what was his primary mission here? He was to take this letter written to the Colossians from Rome now back to Colossae. And you say, well, all right, Pastor. I mean, that, 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 I mean, he's serving him, but really is it that big of a deal? I mean, we don't think so, right? If I'm going to go from Rome to Colossae in Asia Minor, then I'm going to go on orbits or Travelocity, and I'm going to book my JetBlue tickets, and I'm going to fly there and coach. You say, well, that's horrible, flying coach. Your knees are all cramped up, and it's a terrible thing, right? In order to get from Rome to Colossae, Tychicus would have to cross Italy on foot first. And then he would board a ship, and he would sail across the Adriatic Sea to Greece, sometimes a very rough journey. Once to Greece, he would have to cross Greece on foot, and then he would have to travel the Aegean Sea to Asia Minor. And then he would arrive at Miletus, and then he would have to climb up the Lycus River Valley to get to Colossae and Laodicea. Not only a difficult journey, but a dangerous journey. All to do what? To deliver a letter. It wasn't just the letter to the Colossians, though. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, that he was also carrying the letter to the Ephesians. Listen to this, Ephesians 6, 21. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Paul also wrote Ephesians from the Roman prison. And if that wasn't enough, if we render Colossians 4.9 here, most believe that the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon about 
Onesimus, who we'll talk about in a minute, was also carried by Tychicus. So realize the trust that the Apostle Paul put in this man. He puts into his hand a letter to the Colossians, letter to the Ephesians, letter to Philemon from Rome, go and deliver them. Now, we know now that those three letters were canonized by the church and are the very word of God. He entrusted him as a faithful minister, and we are indebted to this man for faithfully discharging his duties. Had he not, there would be no four-month study in Colossians. There would be no looking at Ephesians. There would be no Philemon, if not for Tychicus, doing his duty. What an affirmation of Colossians chapter 3 when we looked at the work that we do. Remember Paul said, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. How true this was for Tychicus. He had, he's bringing letters and they become part of the word of God. He's carrying in his hand something that the church for 2,000 years would study and contemplate and meditate and preach on. I'm so thankful that he took his job seriously as a deliverer of letters. My beloved, it should remind us again that there is no task so small, no job the Lord gives you so insignificant that it will not and cannot have an eternal impact. Nothing you do in the name of the Lord is worthless or without value. This, this man's work shaped millions for centuries and continues to do so. He was a beloved brother. He was a faithful minister. And I love how Paul says he was a fellow servant in the Lord. Not my servant, Paul says. He serves Christ. Christ is his king. Whatever Paul asked him to do, this man did. Whatever he asked him to do, while in Nicopolis for the winter, again, most believe in prison and probably facing near death, Paul sent a letter to Titus. Titus is a pastor on Crete. And he wants to see Titus, likely before he dies. And so he says, I'll send Tychicus to relieve you. I'll send Tychicus as your interim pastor. Titus 3.12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. He makes the same offer to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.12, he wants Timothy to leave the church in Ephesus and come and see him. And so he says, Tychicus, I have sent to you, to, to Ephesus. We know so little about this man's background. We don't know his upbringing. We don't know his education. We do know a few things, though. This man was captivated by Jesus Christ. This man was a sacrificial servant. He said, I'm going to align myself with a wanted man. I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to take these journeys, and I'm going to stay with him. We know he was a faithful servant because he stayed the course. I do believe that Tychicus followed Paul from Jerusalem to Rome during that three years. They stayed with him the entire time. Paul's in jail. There's Tychicus. Paul's in jail. There's Tychicus. And he was a humble servant. Whatever Paul asked him to do, he did. I mean, imagine for a minute. Paul says, I really want to see Titus. Tychicus, you go and relieve him. Tychicus says, what about me? Don't you want to see me? I really want to see Timothy. Tychicus, go relieve him. No question, just goes. 
He was a faithful servant, a sacrificial, a humble servant. And look at the mission that he's given here. Besides taking the letters, look at verse 8. It says, I, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, you may encourage, that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is a faithful servant, a sacrificial servant, a humble servant, and he's an encourager. He's going to go to the Colossians and say, listen, be of great courage. Remember in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to the Christ. Remember the false teachers? They were trying to get in. They were trying to, to smear the name of Christ and distort the faith. And Tychicus was going to come along and say, don't let anyone disqualify you because you're all qualified in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're complete. If you're in Christ, you cannot be taken out. Sacrificial, faithful, humble, encourager. There's no pastor in his right mind who would not say, give me a church of these people. Give me a church of sacrificial, faithful, humble encouragers, and any ministry will thrive. Every successful ministry of the church needs to have the spirit of Tychicus about it. We, we live in such a twisted time when we look at power and we look at prestige and we look at prominence and say, that's successful, that's meaningful. We look at individualism instead of cooperation and community. The Bible turns all that upside down. The, the Bible, listen, the Bible magnifies the lowly. The Bible says, the least of these is eternally significant in my kingdom. The weakest body part can do a work that changes people for generations to come. The Bible magnifies faithful co-workers. It magnifies people willing to sacrifice for the king. The Bible lifts up the humble of heart and says, I don't care what you ask me to do. I will do it. You want me to carry a letter? I'll carry a letter. You want me to go be an interim pastor? I'll go be an interim pastor. I don't need to be a senior pastor. I don't need to be head of the missions board. I'll just be that pastor for as long as you need me, Lord. Doing whatever God desires us to do. From the monotonous to the mundane to the downright difficult. All for the glory of God. So in 2018, I want to ask you a rhetorical but a very personal question. And I want you to answer this, not out loud, but in your heart. How do you find yourself serving the Lord this year through this local church? How do you? There's so much work for us to do. We live in one of the darkest places now in the world. There's so much work for us to do. In 2018, we will as a church continue to pray for and support financially the missionaries that we have out in the field right now. Will you participate in that? Might you be someone that we send out this year? We will continue, by God's grace, to go out into our neighborhood and knock on doors and talk to people and share the gospel and invite them to church. We will continue, by God's grace, to go out and get to know who lives here 
that they might come to an understanding of the glory of Christ. We will, this year, continue to have an abundance of opportunities to make disciples. Making disciples by sharing the gospel with the lost, that's how it starts. Making disciples by coming along, brothers and sisters, in the church and encouraging them and bringing the word of God to them and growing them in this faith and being grown by others. We will, as a church, continue to serve in many of the formal ministries. And you can serve in these. Teaching Sunday school, watching the children, social coordinator, bookkeeping. There's much work to be done. Even this church property, we're going to be doing some work on. We're planning a picnic area and a play area for the children. We're talking about renovating the chapel upstairs. So much work to be done. That means, my beloved, whether you stay on a Wednesday night after our prayer service and you vacuum a classroom or that you make the plans for the picnic area or you begin doing some teaching of the children or you engage in one-on-one discipleship, whatever you do in the name of Christ is done for His glory and it is good and it is lasting Much of this work is low-profile, behind-the-scenes work. I think we're going to be shocked when we come into the presence of God and we see all these people that are in such close proximity to the throne and we say, who is that? Names you've never heard of, never read about, no stories, no legacy in written form, and yet they have a legacy with God. So the question for you this morning is, first, do you see yourself as an essential part of the body of Christ here? You are indispensable. You are necessary. And are you willing to engage in the lowly, unrecognized, and at many times frustrating work of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you going to say, any labor I do in the name of Christ is a glorious labor? Any labor I do in the name of the Lord may be a work that lasts for generations. Tychicus, my beloved, did not say to himself, these three letters that I'm carrying, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon, are going to be in the word of God. He did not know. I dare say, had he known that, he'd probably been terrified and had not gone. I am so thankful he did not remain on the beaches in southern Italy. I'm thankful he did not take a break in Greece. But he completed his duties. He discharged his ministry. In 1952, men and women whom you've never met, you will, planted this church. Over the years, they... The fellowship hall was the, was the church. They added this in the 1960s. And then they bought a few pieces of property. Property none of us could buy today. And we have a place where we can gather. We have a place that we can preach the gospel freely without the government telling us we cannot yet. We have opportunities to teach our children. We have opportunities to pray. We have opportunities to go out and minister because of the men and women who did that years ago. You're going to meet them one day. You're going to say, oh, you're the one who put that cinder block down. 
You're the one who planted those fruitless mulberry trees there that we have to cut down every single year. You're the one. You may be saying to yourself, I want to be like Tychicus. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Each year, I, I make these resolutions, these New Year's resolutions, Maybe just in my heart, but I I want to be each year, I want to be more sacrificial with my life. I want to be a more faithful servant in the home, in the church, in the neighborhood. I want to be humble. I want to encourage. Each year we say these things to ourselves, but then the year begins. And time constraints press us. And you look and you say, my weeks are filled with work and school, and marriage, and children, and cooking, and cleaning, and entertainment, and exercise. How could I ever, how could I ever consistently be this type of servant? How could I sacrifice like this, or be faithful like this? And how could I engage in a ministry of encouragement like this with the life that I live? How could I be a disciple maker? How could I be a prayer warrior? How could I do the books for the church? The answer is not making more New Year's resolutions. It's also not making resolutions. Some people say, well, we just shouldn't make them. Jonathan Edwards thought resolutions were pretty good. It's also not trying harder by your own willpower. What is the answer? It is seeing yourself first and foremost as a servant of Jesus Christ. That is your life. And then everything else Work, school, home, entertainment, exercise will have its right place. Second and last point, the power to live out the gospel. Paul talks about someone else here. He talks about Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is someone you likely know if you have any understanding in the New Testament. And you know that name because he is the slave that Paul's talking about when he wrote his letter to Philemon. The letter of Philemon in the New Testament is about this slave, Onesimus. Now, Philemon, if you do not know him, he was a member of the church in Colossae. So it makes sense that Paul would say, take the letter to the Colossians and take this to Philemon also. Our understanding from the word of God is that he was a pillar in the church and loved deeply by Paul because he loved the Lord. He was a direct convert of the apostle Paul. Paul had preached to him and he heard the message from Paul's lips. So much love did this man have for the church that the church actually met in his house. Colossae met in Philemon's house. Paul addresses him as such in Philemon as a dear friend and fellow worker. Someone, listen to this, from from whom Paul derived much joy and comfort from his love. There's a whole sermon in that. It's an extraordinary verse. We know he's a wealthy man because he owned slaves, one of which was Onesimus. So what happens here? Onesimus did not want to stay a slave, so he fled. Not uncommon. Slaves would often do that. And he flees to Rome. But what he doesn't know is that God had providentially intended for him to flee from Colossae to Rome, and then he meets who? The Apostle Paul. Fantastic. So, of course, what does Paul do? Paul shares the gospel with him. He says, you you were a slave. You are a slave to your own sin But by God's grace through faith, you can be saved. Paul shares with him the gospel. Onesimus repents. He believes, and he becomes a brother in Christ as well. 
And so Paul intends to send Onesimus back for the church. And so he writes Philemon to receive him. Listen to this, Philemon 1.16. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Paul pleads with Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul himself because Onesimus was a changed man. He left dead in his sins. He comes back made alive in Christ. He left likely with his master's goods, right? He fled, probably stole from Philemon, and he goes to Rome. Why? Because if you're going to live a licentious lifestyle, Rome was the place to go. So he goes to Rome with his master's goods to live a sensual, carnal Roman life, and he comes to a saving grace in Christ. And what happens then? His past life is erased. It's covered by the blood of Christ. I love how the gospel takes you, you were dead, and erases all that. So he goes back a new creation. He goes back a new man. And you might be saying, Pastor, I thought you were going to tell me how to actually have the power to live out the gospel life. Why are you talking to me about this slave who comes to a saving grace and now has to go back to his master? You know what the penalty was for the return of a slave in Paul's day? It was death. It was death. The expectation of Onesimus returning home would have been his own death. So you say, oh, okay. So where, where did he get the courage to do that? Where did he find the strength to obey the Apostle Paul to do what was right and return to his master Philemon in Colossae? to submit to him even though he knows that in so doing he may die. This is our struggle, is it not? It's the same struggle that we have. It's not that we don't know the right thing to do. It's that we don't want to do it because of our flesh. So when Onesimus was told to return to Philemon in Colossae because it was the right thing to do, his flesh said, if I go back, I may be enslaved again, or I may be put to death. So where did he get the strength to do this? To turn the fleshly desires into faithful service to God? I dare say that nothing you have faced yet in your call to work for Christ, none of your ministry work, no service, has put your life yet in mortal danger. How was he able to submit? It's actually a really simple answer. He could return to his earthly master even in the face of death because he had already died. He had already died. He no longer lived to serve himself. He no longer lived to serve his own flesh. He lived to serve Christ alone. He knew that he had a new heavenly master, and it wasn't Philemon. It was God the Father. And so he could return to Colossae in the light of potential execution, in light of returning to slavery, knowing that he had been made alive in Christ and no one could take that away. In other words, the gospel had so radically changed his heart as it has yours that his duty became something he wanted to do. He wanted to return. He wanted to make things right. He had been shown the love of God and the grace of Christ, and he was a changed man. I love how John Newton put it in his hymn, This Should Be Your Prayer for 2018. 
our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. And then the second stanza, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into what? Choice. Duty becomes choice. It's something we long to do. What a powerful testimony to the work of God in this slave, now sinner, saved by grace's life. What a powerful testimony to what God can do in the life of a believer. My beloved, might it be that our hearts are not so inclined to serve sacrificially, not so inclined to be the faithful servants that God has equipped us to be, not so inclined to be the humble, faithful servants that God desires us to be, because we are not inclined to our king and his kingdom? Might it be that we do not give of our time and our resources for the kingdom of God and for the benefit of others is because we have yet to see that we too no longer belong to ourselves? If you've been bought with a price, and that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, then your life is not your own. You are a servant to a king, a king most worthy of being served. Onesimus fled looking for earthly freedom. He found true freedom in Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace. So many professing believers in the Western church today still look for freedom in things other than Jesus Christ. We, we are unable to sacrifice. We're unable to be faithful in the ministry. We're unable to be humble and encourage and bring messages of hope because we seek true freedom just as Onesimus did in Rome. We seek it here. You say, well, I haven't been to Rome. You don't have to. But you may seek it in your living room before your television. You may seek it on the computer. You may seek true freedom in work or in your marriage or with your children. You may even seek it in the ministry, which is doubly wicked. The freedom that you long for, the freedom that Onesius enjoyed, the freedom that Tychicus had was freedom found in Jesus Christ. It was the relationship with the Son that had changed everything for both these men. When a man or woman realizes they are a slave to themselves, they are a slave to their sin, whatever those carnal temptations are, slothfulness or industry, pleasure or power, whatever they may be, when they realize that and they hear the gospel of grace and they turn and they repent and they're set free from that, then and only then can that man or woman know what true freedom is. True freedom is not living for yourself. It's not indulging the flesh. It's not trying to do everything to bring yourself glory. True freedom is living for the glory of God. Your life is to testify to the great work that God can do by turning sinners into saints, by bringing those who are hell-bent on living a life for themselves to being heaven-bent on living a life for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. I will ask you a couple more questions and I'll close. If you know Jesus Christ, are you not a sinner who's been set free 
from your sin by the blood of the Savior. Are you not? Are you not a servant now in the kingdom of the Lord? Does not the Spirit of the living God reside in you? Does He not? Enabling you this year, 2018, to be the sacrificial, faithful, humble encourager that God wants you to be. That your new you wants you to be. Most of our New Year's resolutions, even within the church, most of them are very self-serving resolutions. A lot have to do with weight, exercise, eating better, finding that perfect someone, getting that promotion, making more money, being more healthy. How glorious if we, my beloved, resolve to live redeemed lives by the power of Jesus Christ this year. How glorious if 2018 would be a year where CPBC was characterized by Tychicus-like service and Onesimus-like submission to the leading of God. Not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Not by our strength, by the love of God. Dying to ourselves that we might serve the Lord. What a different place this would be. What a different place this community would be. Imagine, just for a minute, that 2018, you became that person that God has redeemed you to be. You don't make this resolution and then come tomorrow, January 8th, it's already on the wayside. You resolve to live a redeemed life in Christ by His power. Things would change here in this church. Things will change in your home. Things will change in your workplace. Things will change in our community. If by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we live to be the people that God has saved us to be. There's a reason we're still here. Why did He just save you and bring you home? Why leave you here? Because there's work to be done. Work that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that was prepared for the foundations of the world for you to walk in, for you to do. So if you're saying to yourself, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do for the kingdom. There are men and women here who will help you with that. Come and talk to us, many. If you say, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do, I just don't want to do it. Well, welcome to the battle. Right? That is the battle. Let us be faithful to pray to this end, that we as a church will desire 2018 to not be like 2017. Let us resolve as a church to do this, to magnify Jesus Christ in our hearts, minds, daily. Daily going to the Word, daily going in prayer, daily gathering together with a brother and sister and say, make Christ first, make Him my life. Because if He is, then you will be like Tychicus and you'll be like Onesimus and you will follow and you will sacrifice and you will serve and you'll be humbled and you'll encourage and you'll be one of those super saints that no one hears about here. But for eternity, they'll be talking about you because of the work that God did in you. Let us have these words, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, in seeing Christ's beauty are joined to part no more. Be 
our resolution for 2018. The beauty of Jesus Christ can change you from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these servants that have no popularity. We praise you for bringing us into a community and into a ministry that requires one another. There is no maverick Christian. There's no maverick ministry that magnifies you. You save us into a work that requires others, and we're thankful for that. I praise you for these brief mentions of men like Tychicus and Onesimus. We know, Father, that there are hundreds of thousands of names never written down, never uttered, that served you in such a way that we have been blessed by them. Father, we ask that you would do the same work here. That you would use this small church and these few saints to do your work. The mundane work, the monotonous work, the difficult work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show us, Lord, in our hearts that that work done for you is not done in vain. Show us the impact, Lord, that this small church can have on this community in this year. And let it be a year, Father, where we as a people grow in our love and the wisdom and the knowledge of your Son. Let it be a year where we're so captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ that our duty becomes our choice and we want to sacrifice and we want to serve. Let us fight one another to serve. Let that be the great struggle in our church, that we're serving each other so much that we're angry at how much service we're doing. How glorious, Father. This is the picture for your church, that we would be a people unlike the world, set apart for your glory, living for the love of Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would impact us that way in 2018. Help us to impact our community that way as well. And, and do that same work in many of the churches here. Let there be a, a 2018 revival in the South Bay. Let many souls who are unsaved come to a saving grace in Christ because of the gospel that comes off our lips. Let us be a faithful messenger. Let us be faithful encouragers. Father, every single soul in this church this morning needs a word of encouragement. And so let us do that for one another. Let us pick up the phone, send the email, send the text, have the coffee, buy the lunch, invite to dinner. Do those things, Father, that we might encourage one another to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which you have already laid up for us in heaven in Christ. Such hope this year because of Jesus. Such hope. Let us radiate that, I pray. In his name, amen.